Thank you for joining us today at Miniature Wargaming Labs, the podcast. Today I'm joined by a special guest, uh, John Russell. John, why don't you introduce yourself? Hey, hello. Hi, I'm John Russell from Warlord Games. How are you guys doing? Look forward to it. And James, thanks for having me on board. No, I appreciate it. And I know you're kind of a big name in the uh, oh, please, Warlord stop. Games community. Um, why don't you tell people who you are and what it is you do, like your elevator pitch. <laughs> okay, 30 seconds or less, it's a quick elevator. Um, you can I, take I, longer. <laughs> oh, thank you. It's a long elevator. As long as it's not in the Nakatomi Towers, we'll be okay. okay. <laughs> uh, 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 I started, I've, this is my fourth year working full-time for uh, Woolard. Before then, it was uh, part-time, about three, four years. It all goes back to my days in Games Workshop. I worked at, uh, I was an writer for them for about 10 years. And then I worked for Forge World for about 10 years. And uh, in that time period of traveling around doing conventions and stuff over in the UK, I was actually at the U United Kingdom one time for Open Day, the old Games Workshop Open Day. And I was running around with this guy, and he had to stop at this house. And it was just really cool-looking house with a lot of cool miniatures in there. And I said, wow, whose house is this? And it was John Stollard's. So, you know, jump forward to like 2003, and I'm at the Open Day in, in Baltimore. And I see Mr. Stoller, and I walk up to him. I say, hey, hello, Mr. Stoller. My name's John Russell, and I've been in your house. Excuse me? And it kind of, and from then on, we've been pretty good friends. We share books back and forth. And I, I, I'm a retired military vet, and I uh, got out of the Air Force after 23 years and then went into uh, civilian, civil service, and I was doing that for a while. And in the meantime, John started up uh, with Paul Sawyer, World Road Games. And we'd go back and forth and talk about things, and Finally, they uh, did the old, made me an offer I couldn't refuse. They said, look, we can't match your salary for what you're getting now, but we would sure like to have it come and start doing our stuff in North America. So I said, well, I got to talk to the wife, and the wife was like, what are you, nuts? Come on, this is your dream job. So now, I, since the last four years, now I travel around North America going to conventions and tournaments and shows and podcasts, and I represent Warlord, so that's what I do. So... Whatever you need, whatever you want, any kind of questions, that's me. And you can call me at 406-579-7704 or email me at john.russell, that's J-O-N dot R-U-S-S-E-L-L at warrogames.com. I'll see what I can do. All right. I, I think um, I've never actually run into you at a convention, but I think every other podcaster who talks about Bolt Action got started <laughs> because, you know, it, it's like being down in Tijuana where the guys rope yeah. you from the stalls and pull yeah. you in and say, like, you yeah. want to buy this? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's my nickname is the Pusher. So I mean, you know, so it's it's. Uh, I've uh, I've I've brought many people over to the light of Warlord. So it's a great time. Well, I I think uh, what got me into Warlord is I started with Games Workshop. Well, actually, I started oh, yeah. with BattleTech. Battle oh yeah, Strong, yeah, yeah. Games Workshop. Once I got out of college, but uh, War Games Illustrated, the magazine, your yeah. company puts those sprues in the magazine. <laughs> so, First, it's free, baby. Yeah. And of course, once once you have one sprue, um, you know, starting to get close to forty, and forty is when you start playing World War II games, right? Yeah, yeah. So yep. that some chain of command got a free sprue from your guys, yep. and um, I have to say, as a marketing ploy, that is brilliant because I now have Warlords of Erewhon Japanese, I've got SPQR, and I've got uh, Bolt Action several armies. I've never played any of them. But I have them, and they're all painted. They're beautiful. <laughs> they're sitting on the shelf. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it's great from a company perspective that you've been able to go lateral with that. Um, get you in one game, and then you spread to multiple games there. But the reason I wanted you on is that 
wanted to talk about how do you get into Bolt Action? And I know right now up on pre-order on the site is the Island Assault. Island Assault. Yeah, so I think getting into Bolt Action, I started, my wife got me the um, USMC Starter Armory because I wanted to be specific. Yeah. So I got that, got it all painted. Marianas Palau expansion book came out. So I got that. And then I see the starter set. So that's that's got the Japanese, which I'm kind of weak on the Japanese models right now. Yeah. I, I got the Marines, so I'm kind of okay there. But you got the tokens, and you got some unique models Train. exclusive to that set, yep. Yep. which is fascinating. So are these starter sets, are they a good way to get into bolt action? Yeah, it's a good good way to put your toe in it. You know, for for the low price of about one twenty to one thirty five, depending upon which starter kit you look at or starter army, one hundred twenty bucks gets you two armies. So you know, about 30, 30 pieces for each side, plus a rule book, plus all the tokens, plus a little scenario pack, and a vehicle. Uh, sometimes one. In this instance, Island Assault is actually has two vehicles. So it's the first time we've ever done that. Yeah, now some people say, well, half-track, really? Well, yeah, they used a lot of half-tracks. And, and come on, you know, the, the Chiha with a with a bazooka team is pretty much done. But, you know, uh, it, it's quick and simple. You're done at 120 for a starter, 135 for a starter. And then you can buy an army, which is usually our starter armies run around 1,000 points, which is a good three- to four-hour game. And, you know, another 135 bucks, and you're done. So it's, uh, it's really easy to start. And... They're also very easy to um, keep going. There, there's some ways to paint. There's ways to uh, play. And uh, it's just an easy way to get in there. Yeah, I have to admit, painting my Marines some uh, Army Painter, Army Green. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can probably get away with like four other colors, and you can probably much yeah. burn through the starter, like the 30-man pack sure. pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah, throw some Seraphim CP on there, and there, boom, there's your shade, right? Seraphim CP is my favorite shade. I use it Amen, almost brother. everything. <laughs> so that's my go-to. Unless unless you're doing vehicles, then I like to use a flurry wash. And we can talk about flurry in a little bit. Okay. Yeah. Now, when I look at the starter set, I always have this question. You kind of answer that. Like, like with Games Workshop, the experience is, well, this is a starter set, but you don't actually play full games. You might run through some stuff in the yeah. box there. Your SPQR starter box I really that was that was a brilliant starter box. You buy that, one side can hire the other side is mercenaries. You've got more than enough models. Well, and, and the, the beauty campaign. is the beauty of that box too is it's a sixty dollars starter set. The rule book itself is forty dollars, and you get like thirty or forty models in there. So it's just it's and and, and and that's a starter way to get into Hail Caesar if you want to. You don't have to, but it's a great little small skirmish 20, 20, 30 figures done per side. It's a fast play. Though I don't know if you've figured the, the mantra out from Warlord, but we try to do historical games, make them fun, make them cinematic, so it kind of like you're watching a movie, and have them done in three, four hours. We all remember back in the day those big Napoleonic games. You'd play maybe two turns in six hours and not get anything resolute, you know, resolved. That's you know, I don't know, but there you go. Well, so my question is, um, I think coming out of Games Workshop. I was looking at Warlord games, but everyone had Warlord. And so I think what I ran into first was I was walking through a store and they had Chain of Command. And I bought Chain of Command. Now, the distinction I noticed between Warlord and Chain of Command is how you load out a squad. 
the yep. chain of command tries to say we're sticking to the tactical operational manuals like you can Do only have this um however and that's why i went with it but you know i've i've known a lot of people that have gone to like somalia iraq afghanistan and the first thing they say after their first tour is i'm throwing this m4 away and picking up an ak-47 the next time i yep. go back yep. and so you know when you look at actual pictures of how people loaded themselves out when they were actually in the field, it actually mirrors more of both actions of, you know what? I don't care if I'm only supposed to take an M1. I want this Thompson and no one's going to stop me. Exactly. <laughs> no one that's, really cares. That's right. Well, and, 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 and that's what we, I mean, if you really want detail, chain of command's good. Um, what's the one that Kinrad does? Uh, uh, Warwick, uh, Warwick Kinrad, uh, there's a really good one. Uh, battle, battle group. I can't remember what that one was. And, you know, then there's, heck, out there in California, there's a guy named Walt that does WFG uh, Frontline. It's, you know, Walt's fun game. But it's it's a 100% uh, a percentile system, and you have 10 guys. And it takes you about three, four hours to pay a squad on squad. It's a lot of fun. It's a lot of detail, but it's just one squad. Where a bolt action gives you the opportunity to play three, four squads, and you get it done in four or five hours. Our tournaments are, you know, 1250 to 1000 points. We're done at 2.5, two and a half hours. So, I mean, it's how much you want to detail. You know, a bolt action rifle is a rifle, an SMG is an SMG, regardless if it's an MP40 or a Thompson or a PPSH. It still shoots out a lot of lead close. So, you know, again, it's there's games out there that, you know, if, if you want detail, they're there. But if you want quick, fast, and fun, Warlord's your, Warlord's your go to. Yeah. Well, I think that's the advantage is like easy buy-in. Um, mm -hmm. And then that army can actually last you a long time there. Now, my question for you is normally out of bolt action, we see a lot of emphasis on the Atlantic, the um, European theater, North <laughs> yep, Africa. Yep. And with Marianas Palau and with the Island Assault starter box, are we going to see more in the Pacific so well and there's also uh, i think it's uh empire of flames is, well, is yeah yeah but that's yeah, an but, order book yeah 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 there there's going to be more items uh where you're going to see some more uh japanese vehicles coming out you'll see you know we've got those four box sets with the release of island assault uh, we've got the japanese and the usmc support box and those are really good buys they give you, you know a commander a medium machine gun, a medium mortar, and then like a medic or something. So there's your four command, you know, structure right there. And then we've got the the raiders uh, for the Marines, and then of the uh, Japanese airborne. So th there's going to be more emphasis. There'll be more uh, uh, more scenarios. And then when our combined arms board game slash miniature game comes out uh, July, August, September. What that does is uh, Alessio has been working on it just right before COVID and now and had more time during COVID to work on it. <laughs> but uh, what that does is Alessio has taken Blood Red Skies, Cruel Sea slash Victory at Sea and Bolt Action and combined it into a combined arms event. So I'll tell you how to play those three games or how those three games can mesh together and uh, influence or affect each other. And you can play those games that way or if you don't have time to do that, uh, there's parts and components in that box for a board game, much like, you know, the old Axe and Allies or Risk. And uh, let's say, James, you'll have green pieces, I'll have blue pieces, and then there'll be gray pieces on the board. And as we go through the uh, anonymous territory, you know, uh, it's not necessarily mapped off everything, it's just a generic map. 
we'll replace those gray pieces with our pieces as we control and take over. So you can play a board game or you can combine Blood Red Skies, Bolt Action, Cruel Sea slash Victory Sea. So there's even more of that. And then with the release of uh, July-August timeframe of Blood Red Skies Midway, that's a starter set for the Blood Red Skies game. And that's all centered around Midway and Pacific air battles. So uh, this summer, we're kind of looking at the Pacific specifically. So there you I go. like how you time that out just to make sure to get that chain of words together. Yeah, so, exactly. Let, let me ask you uh, wish list here. Any way to get Pappy Boynton in the Black Sheep Squadron? Uh, well, Blood Red Sky, Pappy is in there. Uh, okay. we, do have a, we do have a model for him, and we also have a model for Philip Kirkwood, Ace of the Day Kirkwood. So the, the, their models and uh, their planes are there. Plus, of course, you know you can uh, buy the box set. We sell them either, you know, a Corsair squadron or we sell Corsair squadron with Pappy, so you can get that squadron. And then uh, Miscellaneous Miniatures does some great decals that, that that you can get custom made if you really really want to go nuts. Uh, and he's a great great quick service, fantastic customer service from uh, Misc Minis. Uh, good decals, great decals. Well, I've noticed that you do. Um, some specialized miniatures, like one-offs. And so with the last one, we have uh, Chappie, so the Marine with Dog model. Oh, yeah. Chappie, yeah. Um, any chance we'll get uh, Polar? For use uh, in Korea and the West. Well, Polar, Chesty Polar is one of the special miniatures from, I think it's the old Empire and Flames book. I'll have to go back and look. But we do have a Chesty, uh, and he's out there floating around. But uh, okay. you, you could use him for, you know, bolt action, and you could use him for bolt action Korea. So, that, that's what I was thinking, like yeah. both times. Yeah. Yep, yep. And and that's what's great about, you know, if you go pick up a, a box set of Marines or a box set of uh US Army, for example, you can use that box set in bolt action, you can use that box set in K forty seven, and you can use it in Korea. So you get a, a three uses out of that, you know, more bang for your bucks out of that one box set. So there you go. That that's something I did. I haven't bought the Korea expansion yet. Uh, um see. That's near and dear. To, you know, now I'll, I'll warn you before you start. You know, that's near and dear to my heart, right? <laughs> I think I heard an interview where you were talking about that before, because that it yeah, is a massive tome. Well, myself and Steve Smith wrote it, so I mean, I'm responsible for that tome. So, yeah, it really means a lot. So, uh, and and we're always every June we're putting some more stuff out for it. So, but uh, it was a fun one. It is the largest supplement we ever made. Those 240 pages. I, I am. I think you've mentioned before that. Well, with that book came the special miniature, um, the Marine and Winterwear. Yeah, that um, was the second model. That was the second model. The original model that was supposed to be for that was uh, um, Sergeant Reckless. And Sergeant Reckless was going to be the original model, but then they decided we had never done. Uh, you know who Sergeant Reckless is, right? I've heard it's been a long time since I've it's done it. It's a horse. That. It's a horse. And yes. uh, she, she, she was trained to carry recoilless rocket ammunition up and down the hills. And, and there is a model for her that we'll release later. But then we decided to go ahead and go with the Frozen Chosen model. And uh, it's just more iconic. Oh, um, I've been to her grave. Yes. Camp Pendleton. Camp Pendleton. Um, the, I went yeah, out there. Yeah, by the stables. <clears throat> I, yep, I guess that's where they used to be. Well, well, she was buried behind one of those tables, and then they also have a really big uh, a monument over by the uh, uh, the uh, what is that? Over by the community center on base there in Pendleton. So when, I went out two years ago for the book tour, and I swung through Pendleton and took pictures and stuff. That was cool. But yeah, she's yeah, out there. Uh, I that was back. I saw that back in '87. So it's been a, yep. been a while since I've been to that. Been a while. <laughs> yep, 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 yep. That was good though. It was fun. 
okay, yeah, that would have been a good one because um, <laughs> I, I have to say, so last time I studied the Western Pacific is like all Marine Option midshipmen. Mm-hmm. You spend a whole semester, just every island, and you go down because they're very they're very proud of that one there. Mm-hmm. But um, we had the Commandant visit our college uh, mm-hmm. one time. And um, when you see the dog, the Commandant's dog outrank the dog handler, that is always an entertaining sight for anybody. Yes, yes. <laughs> well, and that's where, you know, the, the Pacific is, is one of those, it, it's not a forgotten part of World War II, but it, it, it was a uh, side show. And I, I, don't, I don't mean that derogatory or, or, or bad. I mean, it wasn't given the emphasis that Europe was given, but it was more brutal and it was bigger and more spread out. And, and I really, really like, the Band of Brothers TV series, and I really, really like, you know, Saving Private Ryan. But when you watch the Pacific documentary, you know, and just like the Band of Brothers, but it's called the Pacific. That's off of sledges and uh, 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 helmet for my pillow, and also oh, the other guy, um, I forgot his name. Uh, but the, and they're in the movie. Well, you watch that, you can see just the the, the differences between those two war, the two parts of that war, and it's a uh, it's very brutal. Uh, and uh, supply chains are crazy in the Pacific. That um, I think in the cultural zeitgeist, there hasn't been that band of brothers mm-hmm. series to really get people to latch on to that. Because um, you see, with a lot of the divisions, you hit like one island, and that mm-hmm. just wipes you out. And then, so a new division, yeah, yeah. A new division comes new in. New island, yep. Yeah, so it's like because it was just so such a terrible. Like meat grinder. grinders, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and so that's that. I'm I'm interested in the expansion of the Pacific because I think people also ignore the U.S. Army's. Oh yeah, it did a lot. The MacArthur Front, yeah, Ton, tons of stuff. It, it, well, I have a relative. Um, my grandfather was in the 40th, so Manila, mm-hmm. the Philippines. Yeah. And so I was thinking, so you know, it would be great to just have a Philippines book because I mean, you have what the last airborne regiment drop of world mm-hmm. war ii was mm-hmm. the philippines i mean it's like the stalingrad of the western pacific right there sure. just brutal manila fight was, for manila yeah, yeah the city fight was brutal brutal uh i just finished a book yesterday it's funny you mentioned that james uh, called they were expendable which is about getting out of batan and Corregidor with the, the pt boats and getting macarthur out and the last stands on there and uh just the um the grinding and hoping that maybe the, the army will come, surely the American army will come, surely the American Navy will come. And they just couldn't get the resource and logistics done fast enough to meet the, 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 the rampaging horde of the Japanese that came in through there that just uh, was hard to stop and uh, was unstoppable for a while. And, uh, and then to come back and go in there and just the, 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 the island hopping campaign is just, it's just a, a grinder. And it's just, and that's why, you, like you said, a, you know, a division will go in, that division's gone, new division, and you just didn't carry through. And all that division will go to secondary. And at the beginning, you know, the Marines led the way, and they were a lot of the assaults. But then towards the middle end, the, the Army started taking over more and more. And then the armies were equal to, like in the Philippines, like you said, they were just as much as the Marine Corps in there. But the Marine Corps got, got you know, they got, they got the flash in, in, the, in, the, in the movie. So there you go. Well, I think that's something that I liked about the Marianas Palau book is that you do point out that some islands were shared by mm-hmm. both the services there. So you do have the option 
to like pick a beach and say, okay, this will be the army beach yep. and this will be the Marine Corps beach. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say though, in the sculpting, the models, um, the Marine sprue has the guys in a lot more torn up clothing than like if you buy, if you get like your late war um, yep. army guys in there, they're, they're still a little, uh, you know, Northwest European neat on the yeah. uniforms. Yeah. Well, the Japanese are, are equal to or worse, you know, especially the, uh, the, the bamboo spearmint. They're just like maybe some underwear and a stick. Yeah. <laughs> When, you, when you're trying to put together your force package, you're just streamlining to what do I really need? And oh, yeah. A yeah. and a stick. <laughs> like, That's right. That's right. That's right. And I, so talking about that, so a lot of your models are usable across um, multiple games. So you're mentioning Bolt Action, K-47, mm-hmm. um, Korea. Um, I haven't gotten into K-47. I've looked at some of the... Um, models there but narratively how do you tie in um conflict 47 to the western pacific i think most people are used to the idea of like german super weapons like they've been sold that on the history channel with like mm-hmm. aliens and mutants and the occult right. and everything right. um the japanese were just as good at engineers but there just weren't as many of them so right. we don't think of like right. japanese super we- weapons out there right, right. So well how, how do you tie that in well, in K-47, you know, Clockwork Goblin brought brought that concept to us, and we really liked it, and a lot of our models fit. And they were trying to figure out a, a good scale for it, and when they saw that a lot of our stuff was already done, that's when the 28 mil came out. And that's what it went with was 28 mil. And they did all those, the one-off weird stuff, you know, the, the, uh, the, the animated corpses, because they're not zombies, the animated corpses, the, uh, the, uh, uh, the wolf and the Nachiagas and the, you know, the vampire things at night. And then the, the Russians have bears and they have the Siberian terror squads. It looks like a bunch of guys that drink uh, antifreeze and they're, they're, they're immune to cold and heat. And then you've got the, the Japanese are, are just as devious and nasty. And the whole, the whole concept of K-47 is that there's, uh, when they did the uh, atomic testing in the desert, there was a rift open and this technology kind of came through and whispers and messages and and uh when when the atom bomb was dropped on berlin that's how the germans got some of the technology and then they shared it with the japanese and the japanese and the germans weren't so uh guided by principles shall we say like the the western allies were and they'd use everything and anything they could because they were they were on the ropes but now with this new technology they were able to fight back and stabilize some of the fronts and Russia wanted some of the technology, but they were they deemed that they weren't getting it fast enough. So they broke away and they became their own fighting force. So they're not allied anymore. And the Japanese have got some guys in almost like uh, samurai battle assault suits, you know, battle suits and assault suits. And they've got the, the ghost squadron, which basically phased through walls and terrain so they can walk through walls. And then they got a scorpion tank that looks like a scorpion. And then the, their animated corpses. The Germans' animated corpses are Germans because they've got to be Germans and Germans are Germans. The Japanese animated corpses aren't so pretty. I mean, there's Australians and Japanese and American and British all mixed into their animated corpses. So it's just as fa- it's just as nasty and more tenacious than what it really was. So the, the, there's two expansion sets out for K-47. There's Defiance and Resurgence. 
and they give you some list for Finns. So the Finns are in there now and some Canadian forces. The Canadians use a lot of women in their animated walkers. So the biggest differences between bolt action and K-47 is pretty much everything's the same with the exception that you have pew pew rawr in walkers. Uh, you know, so you have a little bit of monsters, a little bit of laser type uh, compression weapons that bend uh, the magnetic fields. And then, of course, the walking uh, uh, giants of big tanks. But the system schematics kind of works the same. The impulse, the ice pull, and the weapons chart. Well, that, that brings up the question. Let's say I have a bolt-action army, and I want to play K-47, but I don't. I just want to buy the book. So I put the yep. investment into the book. I yep. bring my uh, army in. Mm-hmm. Is it a balanced game if I'm playing someone who has all, you know, uh, sure, the super sure. Tanks. Yeah, still, sure, because that means you just have less guys or they'll have less things, and you play to this scenario. You know, as much as we always like to play to the death, like a lot of Games Workshop stuff does, there are sometimes scenarios that you have to focus on, and you can still win without having to kill everybody. So, uh, or or make them all casualties. So, there there are base pointed out, so that you can't do that. It's difficult, but you can't do that. Okay, um, I think. So the purpose of the channel, we talk about like how can you take, you know, your multiple game lines and apply them to as many games as possible. Sure. And, sure. Um, you know, living in Albuquerque, um, we actually live close to the Trinity test site. So yes, you do. it features uh, big in the K-47 lore there sure. with the two national yeah. labs out yep. here. Um, yep. I think that's that's why I've looked at some of the K-47 models, especially like the Wolf and some of the... Um, stormtroopers that you have there they would fit into multiple game lines like uh Octon skirmish and um yep. uh, we we talked about playing zona alpha but instead of setting in russia set in albuquerque because sure. you know, this is where all the secret stuff is right sure. <laughs> yeah well you got Octon cthulhu and then there's a bunch of pulp stuff i mean it's just it's just that what if thing you know nazis on the moon all over again well that you know honestly when i look at bolt action um, miniatures there. What I like about the company, you know, even if I don't want the game, the models you have, and since you have so many lines you support, there's something where I can look at like um, the Keelers from Strontium Dog. He's like, yeah. I could, nice. I could use those in this yeah. game, and you know, you got some terrain for Judge Dread. Well, I can use that in this game. So even if I don't buy into your game systems, your stuff is usable. Across, across the board. multiple games. No, your Osprey Games has a bunch of miniature agnostics. Uh, yep. Blue Book series and a lot of your miniatures would fit just fine into there, which is why I own yeah. so many Japanese Ashigaru that you guys yeah. have <laughs> Well, and, you know, uh, Judge Dredd slash Starnstim Dog slash Gates of Antares Train works for all three of those. You know, and, and, and that's what's great about that one. And, you know, I'm a huge Judge Dredd. I mean, a huge... Judge Dredd and Anderson. Oh, okay. They're... Way up there on top of the bookcase. Um, they're they're the big vinyl ones. Um, but it, it's just a great, great storyline. And, you know, Rebellion, we were really happy to get that. Uh, um, we're able to get that franchise and do the games we're doing. And then Andy Chambers and, and Gav Thorpe, names from <laughs> Games Workshop, yeah, uh, wrote those rules along. And then uh, Roger Garish joined them with Judge Dredd, and then 
Andy's working on uh, Slain, you know, Kiss My Ex. That's another major character from the uh, the Rebellion. So there's more coming down that line for Rebellion. But those models, again, like you said, you can cross fertilize or do different things. Our, our slogan is the finest historical miniatures in 28 mil, you know, in the world. And and we, we're pretty proud of our miniatures. And, and they are some nice stuff. And it's you can use them anywhere, you know, and it's great. So we're very proud of those. Well, uh, I'll let you in on this. I'd like your thoughts. Um, this is probably a little bit off script, but I was looking at Malayan emergency. Um, do you think bolt action would work for that? Because you have Gurkhas, SAS, mm -hmm. um, some of the regular British regiments. Well, um, and, and, and that's it's not too far after World War II or Korea. Well, exactly. And, and that's, and that's where, I mean, it took me three years to sell Warlord on, on, doing Korea and I wore them down, I guess you could say, but then that, that led into the next evolution of what bolt action could be. And a lot of people are asking us, well, when, when's Vietnam, when's Vietnam, when's Vietnam? Well, Vietnam was, you know, 15, you know, 20 years after world war two. And why should we, as my good friend, Stephen Moore say, why should you run when you can walk? Why don't we walk up through the timeline and do that? So, and develop those weapons. So, by the time we go through Korea, the Indian-Pakistani conflict, Arab-Israeli, the Malaysia incidents, uh, all the brushfire wars in Africa, and lead up to Vietnam, then we will know for sure what a M14, M16, or an AK-47 would do in our game system because we've tried it through the years instead of just jumping ahead and guessing what maybe a K, uh, you know, an AK-47 would be. So those are very real steps up to and through now how fast will we get there uh if we do it right maybe five ten years so what you're thinking about yeah that is down the road because we have gurkhas we have british you know there was malaysian incidents we can do the you know the, the french indochina war led into the you know well i i think when whenever i remember after korea came out there was a hope that it was going to be vietnam but, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, My American God. Involvement, I, uh, yeah. The American involvement in Vietnam for so the second Indochina War is like, well, no one's really done enough in 28 mil in the first Indochina War. And being right. in the 1950s, you just have an assortment of all sorts of strange bedfellows. Um, yeah, ragtag assortments. Yeah. And I mean, there's the Aiden emergency. Well, you know, after World War II in Korea, everything with the British wasn't a war, it was an emergency. So. Yep. There's plenty of emergencies in the 50s that I feel is just a forgotten period out yeah, there. Yeah, well, and, and, and keep going. I'm sorry. Well, no, and I was looking at bolt action. So with bolt action, a lot of the weapon systems that you find in those brush fire wars in the 50s are just, you know, hand-me-downs from World yeah. War II because that's... Oh, got you. Yeah. So it's like, this seems like it would naturally fit. And you already have some of the models for like a Malayan emergency out there. Um, sure. Doing the rebel side might be a little more kit bashing on there, mm -hmm. but um, mm -hmm. yeah, the uh, British Allied side of that was like, okay, there's already models for this. They didn't radically change the cuts in the, yeah, well, the field and, service uniform. Yeah, and that's what the beauty is for for Korea. We're talking about later on for the UN uh, uh, other countries that participated. Once that country got into the Korean Peninsula, their kit was all U.S. or British, so we're just going to do heads for, like, the Ethiopians and the Luxembourgers and the Philippines and the Turkish and the Greeks. We'll just do heads 
because they had U.S. kit or British kit just for the supply chain stuff. So we'll be doing that. And then John today just released, John Stoller, the CEO, just released in our, our, our uh, weekly newsletter that we send out. If you go to the website, you can you know click, put in your email address, and boom, you get a two, three times a week, you'll get an updates. But he's been working on the Indian-Pakistani war. That's That's been his concentration. Which life. one? The, the first one. The oh, 60. The one. Yeah, yeah, the okay. first one. So a lot of that kit, you know, is is, is uh, British and, and American, and uh, you know some Russian stuff. So he's been kitting out, and he just showed this this week how to take the new British Canadian sprue and turn it into an Indian or Pakistani force. So again, some kit bashing and some mashing, and that's what when we make those sprues. We're slowly transitioning to what I call the one sprue, which means you don't need a weapons sprue. All the guys are holding weapons. I think the Russian sprues right now, you need a weapons sprue, but the, the, all the newer ones have the guys holding them. So it's easier to just, you know, glue on the arms. Yeah. But we try to design all of our kits so that you can kit bash. You can take this arm from there and put that arm there and put this weapon there and put that head there so you can, you can customize. And that allows you to do some of these maybe emergencies that you'll see in the future. All right. Um, so since I have you on here and I still got a little time before <laughs> I got to take off, sure. something that I was fascinated with and I didn't expect to like it was Black Powder Epic. And you guys <laughs> launched off with the Civil War. And so yep. if this was 17-year-old me, I would have all that stuff. But I was oh, looking sure. at that Napoleonics. Because I'm getting older, I'm getting close to 50, so it's <laughs> yeah, by law, yeah. I have to start getting into Napoleonic. Well, or, or you stop because you'll, not, you'll be able to paint it all because after 50, you won't be able to get it all. Yeah. <laughs> but is there, I assume that there are plans to expand Black Powder Epic. Your, well, um, yeah, Epic Epic in general. There, we uh, we were thinking about doing something in this scale a long time ago, and, and, and it just came things worked and we, the reason why it is the size that it is is that we can get the most miniatures a hundred guys on that one sprue so you have a a, a a regiment on that one sprue so you know there's a hundred guys yeah it's 13.5 it's not the true scale 15 but there is no such thing as really true scale 15 because it's a lot of different scale you know 18s 10s 13s but unless you're playing star wars clone wars everybody's gonna be different sizes anyway yeah. so we came out with this idea. We'll do ACW, and I, I particularly don't play ACW. I mean, I'll push anybody's letter around, but when that box set come out, I mean, come on, really, 120 bucks for 2,500 figures? Well, I guess I'm going to be playing ACW now, and uh, they're beautiful models. Uh, and there's now talk of doing other periods. You know, we could do a Hail Caesar, we could do a Pike and Shot. We could do American Civil War. We, I mean, uh, American War for Independence, uh, Revolutionary War, we call it over here. We could do, there, there's many opportunities. And because the community embraced it so massively, we, 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 were, we, we were hoping that people would like it. And when we put it out there, announced it, we had 90% positive reviews, 90%, which was unbelievable. And now the 10% of those people that were whinging um, or, you know, complaining a little bit, when we looked at their email addresses and our orders, half those guys that whinged were buying the box set as well. So, I mean, it was it, it was well-received. So, of course, we're going to do something else. What it is, we don't quite know yet. We're doing some tests and doing some feelers out there to figure it is. Could it be Napoleonics? Great. Could it be uh, Hail Caesar? Great. Uh, what, it, what it might be 
is that instead of having a box set starter like this, we'll do uh, an army, like we'll do Roman box starter and a like Gaul starter or a French starter or a British starter, and then we'll have different sprues. The ACW sprues are basically two different types, uh, and it works because that's just the way the Civil War worked. If we did a, a Hail Caesar or if we did a uh, Napoleonic or if we did a, 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 a Pike and Shot, there's going to have to be some different sprues. So, you know, four or five okay. different sprues. But, but, but yes, we're going to do something in Epic Scale later on this year. Maybe watch this space or get on the newsletter. But uh, oh, I, I had to – so before I moved to Albuquerque, I lived in the D.C. metro area. And there was uh, my local – my friendly local game store, anything – um warlord games or battlefront put out they had so i mean oh, games yeah. workshop had a presence there but on the schedule it was historicals were big business there and so i'd always walk by the black powder rule book out there and say, <laughs> no, that that looks interesting but 28 millimeter just seemed too big for yeah. doing, um napoleonics because i wanted that feel mass well was it uh, Saruman and his tower looking across the yeah, field yeah, of minions? Yeah, it's like yeah, if yeah. I'm if I'm gonna field, you know, French guard, I want to feel like I'm feeling. I want to feel the French yes. guard. <laughs> so when I saw your thirteen point five and with black powder, and it's like, you know, that is something I could latch on to right there because a way to like store a huge store and purchase a huge number of models for that. Um, and just 28 millimeters at that store, it was possible because they had, right, right. you know, the six by 28 foot table that you could lie out and like do Crimea in full right. if you wanted. Right. Um, not every store or place do you have access to those massive tables. So you've got to go down in scale. So I, I appreciate Warlord going into that smaller scale. Well, thank there. you. Well, it's it's amazing that the, the, the gamers have really embraced it too. I mean, there's several different Facebook pages. And people are painting just massive amounts, 20, 30, 40 sprues. Uh, we're talking about having a huge event at MillenniaCon in November down at Round Rock, Texas, like, you know, a 12-foot by eight, five or six-foot table of nothing but just mass ranks of, of – uh, it, it is impressive. And I always – James, I always say there's nothing like walking by a nice table with great terrain – well-painted models. I mean, you just want to pick them up and play. I mean, it's just, and, and that lends itself to doing that. Yeah. I have a table in the house where I just like leave mm. like the table set up and I just put the models out there. And it's like, are you playing with that? No, just look, I, I painted that thing. Maybe I might pay with it. You know, <laughs> yeah, it, it it's, it's, it's getting there. That's great. So um, going forward in the future, Yes. With your tournaments, yes, as seems as things seem to be getting better in certain parts yes. of uh, the country. Um, I know my local store; we've got a very high vaccination rate out right. here, so they're talking unwinding. So, are you actually making plans for the rest of this year? And you'll probably be back to normal next year. I'm, I'm oh sure. Right. It, it uh, we do have uh, you know before COVID. I that year, I, the year before COVID, I think I traveled to about 30 events in 65,000 miles. And then when COVID hit, I did about eight or nine events in about 15,000 miles. And now I'm back up to about 20 or 30, I think, for this year and, and back up to the mileage again. And in the last year, around September, August, September timeframe, myself and Paul Walker sat down and we, we've been working on for the last couple of years a tournament circuit uh, with uh, kind of like the old grand tournament idea 
we divided the North America into 10 different zones. Eight sectors are in the States and two are up in Canada. And all those we cumulated in, in, a, in a regional level, you know, tournament. So you, you'd get points or you, you'd go through the, the, the uh, like the NCAA tournament kind of thing, you know, the brackets and go through and you'd have a major event. And then we'd have the, the national event at, uh, usually it's at Adepticon up in, uh, Schaumburg up by near Chicago, but of course that was canceled this year. So this year we might, we are still doing it. It's just in smaller locations when these stores open up and uh, we're talking about maybe having it in one of our anchor stores out East in New Jersey, where we have, uh, we have two stores we share with mythic studios. Uh, one's in Randolph, New Jersey, and the other one's in Mahua, New Jersey. And we're going to maybe do it at the Randolph store, but we have a, a, a standardization of how to play, at least right now, for bolt action. And we're not saying that you have to do it this way. We're just saying here's an idea, and we're trying to get it all on the same page, all at the same tempo. Uh, and we have four documents that we're going to put up on our community or organized play website that's just about ready for public uh, consumption. It'll be out this month. And you'll see on there, there'll be a spot to list events, you know, conventions or stores can get on there. There'll be a store finder, there'll be a player finder, and there'll be a UK list of events, same thing, player finder, store finder. And then there'll be four living documents that you can download. Uh, one's for TOs, tech, uh, you know, tournament organizers. One is for the players, a player's handbook, what to expect, what to do. How we break down the different divisions, like there's bronze, silver, and gold. That's a bronze is like 10 players. Silver is 24, and anything over 24 would be a gold. And then there's also beginners, intermediate, advanced. So, and then there's also narrative or competitive. So one glance at the announcement, you can see how many people, what's the level of players experience and what's to expect either a narrative or a competitive. So walking in the door, you know what to expect. And then the third packet of those uh, uh, documents is generic scenarios. We have up to 12, we're trying to get up to 20. So if the TO's in the pinch and he's a grab three quick he can just grab three out of this list they're all in the standardized format can you do flank can you do off board where's advance can i advance what's the setup so it's all generic so a to can grab those he can still do his own we're not telling you have to use these or just tools in your toolbox to make your event better and then the fourth uh document is the uh tournament organizers uh handbook and what that is i call it the how to kick players out of your game and, and but basically what it is, it shows you the penalties for doing uh, violations. For example, if you're caught um, mismeasuring or overmeasuring or using, you know, not measuring right, that's like a yellow card in soccer. If you're caught cheating, a red card, you know, you're, you're tossed out. But uh, in the, you know, Bolt Action has been out since 2012. So it's been out for nine, 10 years. You know, we've done one iteration, Bolt Action 2 in 2016. In all that time that I've been associated with Bolt Action and Warlord, uh, I can probably say Bolt Action problem players I can have on count on one hand and still have fingers left over. Different than what I used to do Games Workshop stuff. But the, 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 there's a different mindset. They're not, there are metagamers out there. You know, even though that, you know, just, just to be generic numbers here, let's say out of all the Bolt Action players, there's maybe 20% that are competitive players. Well, that 20% drives a lot of what we do at Warlord to try to get more things out, you know, because they, they want to play that meta or they want to play that, that min-max stuff. So we're trying to 
get a lot of figures out there. So they're, they're driving a lot of the hobby. So we want to make sure that we're not catering to them, but want to give them more tools to help them enjoy the game as well. So there is a system in place to help you standardize your bolt action tournaments. This will also go over and lend itself to Blood Red Skies and K47 and then Cruel Season on down the line, maybe Epic ACW. But we got to start somewhere when we're marking the line in the sand with bolt action. And the documents do exist. You can contact myself or Paul Walker. And we have a email address called tournaments at warlordgames.com. And you send your information there. We put it in there, look at it, and we can help you organize and help make your experience as best as it can be. Now, we do ask that please, please, please give us at least 20 to 30 days. Don't tell us that we have a tournament tomorrow. Can you help us? Because it's a little hard to get everything going. I mean, it's a big machine and there's some red tape, but uh, ideally it'd be 90 days out because then we can really make sure we get promotions. We get just some stuff for the store, for your event. We can maybe get posters out there. We can give you some prize support and, and, and things like that. But uh, the minimum has got to be at least two, three weeks because that's the minimum it takes to get stuff from the UK or get the posters done or stuff like that. So, Sorry, long answer to a short question, but yes, we are doing tournaments. Yes, there's things in place. Well, I have, you have a living document, so I've, I have two questions in this area. So with the living document, when a tournament comes up, will the tournament announce that the living document will be locked at this time? Because I've had that with Fantasy for oh, yeah. Games, yeah, yeah. where it's a living document. You download it, you print it, you learn it, and then you realize, like, oh, wait, it changed it's at this a, point, changed, and I wasn't... Yeah. So is yeah. there going to be like a lock time? Like these documents are locked. Well, this tournament well, the, will come up. Yeah. What I, the, the, why I mean by living documents is, is those documents are locked, but they're changeable or malleable as we experience through the through the year and the cycles. So if we find out that this idea we had or put out there isn't working, we'll change that with the inputs from the TOs. So And there's also uh, deadlines. For example, we try to put out an FAQ every quarter. So if your event is around that time frame, we'll say, and the FAQ from this date is applied. So we'll put a line in the sand that says, if you're having a tournament in June, uh, the last things will be May. So you have at least a month to uh, tweak your armies. So yes, th th there are some things in place to help alleviate that headache. Now, the other thing I want to ask is normally this comes an issue on the tournament scene, but will there be recommendations for terrain coverage? Oh, I yeah. know, I know yeah, when like Star Wars Legion first rolled out, the terrain was light <laughs> on the table, so the Imperials yeah. swept. And so yeah. I know there's certain factions with their um, natural and he prefer heavily terrain tables and others oh, yeah. that prefer wide open fields of fire. Right. So is right. there a recommendation to the TO for like, you know, 30% coverage, or do you leave that for the scenarios? That, that, it, it, yes to both. Okay. There, there's some of the, in the TO book, there is some stuff about how to present a good game. And there's also in the scenario, some suggestions on what it should look like. Uh, there's nothing worse than seeing a bunch of gray box on the board saying, Hey, there's our mountains. These are, no, no, no. I mean, come on, make them look like mountains, make them look like buildings, you know? Well, that's, that's fine for experimentation with the game, but right. you know, when, it's, right. when it's the day of the show, you know, you, you need see, something nicer. Yeah. Three colors minimum, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, yes, there are some standards. So this podcast, when it comes out, what's the next event? If people wanted to run into you, what's the next event that you're planning? Uh, it'll be the 4th, 5th, and 6th of June will be a Gathering of Eagles event down in New Orleans at the World War II Museum. Uh, that's going to be a mostly Blood Red Sky-centered event. 
and tournament. However, we do play a little bit of bolt action and some other games there. And then right after that, the next weekend, uh, the 10th or 11th and 12th of June is DICON in Collinsville, uh, Illinois, just outside of St. Louis. And then the next uh, big event in July that I know of at the moment is Twisted Lords here in Oklahoma City. That's our convention here in Oklahoma City. And that's a pretty big one. We've got 12 or 13 vendors already. And you can find it on uh, TTE, uh, Tabletop Events. Just type in Twisted Lords and you'll see it. After that, uh, NashCon in Nashville. Uh, and then I'll be over in the open day at the UK. And after that, I'll be down in Denton, Texas for ReaperCon. And ReaperCon is a fantastic event and a great convention. A lot of painters show up and you can talk to the painter himself and figure out, get some tips how to paint your models. After that will be, see, that's October. October will be a Siege of Vicksburg doing ACW stuff. What a surprise. Out in Pittsburgh, <laughs> uh, Georgia. And then we've got uh, MillenniaCon in Round Rock, Texas, which is a phenomenal event. And then Renegades GT up in Plymouth, uh, Minnesota, right around Thanksgiving. And, of course, there's Origins in Ohio. And then uh, Historicon and Bug Eaters also in June. But uh, we won't have a booth there, but there'll be some guys there helping out. Uh, so it's getting the, the curtain has lifted over the stage of the world of gaming again. So there's a lot of things popping up. I just got told of another one in August now, maybe. So I'm going to go check that one out. So and another Do you one have in an Ohio. ID or something like a class? I have a big classic. silver man. I, I okay. have a big a high hole silver and we're off to go. But I've got to. I've got some guys that help me. We call them uh, Raiders. I've got about 51 guys scattered all over uh, America and Canada, and uh, they help us and assist. So we can do two or three events in three different geographical locations to the same standard of support. So you, you always see me or a guy wearing our, our maroon shirts with their names, and you know they have a, a catchphrase or something underneath their name, so you know that they're the guys that I've picked and we have picked, and uh, they help us out. So that's why we can cover three or four folks, okay. uh, three or four events. Okay. Well, before we wrap this up, what we normally do a section of the show called horizon scan. So I just do some radar stuff. Okay. But, so what is one thing coming out of Warlord in the future that you're excited about that you want people to know about? And I know it's tough for you to keep it to one. Uh, <laughs> um. I'm excited about the Mythic America stuff that's coming out. Uh, I'm waiting for the third faction. I normally yeah. wait till the third faction of any well, system before I. Yeah. Well, I right now they're, they're each the Mythic Americas is a five-year planned project with uh, Mythic Studios and ourselves, and right now the uh, Aztecs and the Tribal Nations are out. This month you'll see the Incas. Next month you'll see the Maya, and later on this year you'll see the last of the other four. The Inuit, the Chachapoya, the um, Western Federation, and the Tahino. And that, so it, that's Mythic America. Next book at the Christmas New Year's will be Mythic Asia. And they'll have eight factions for that. And then Mythic Europe, eight factions for that. And then the next year after that will be Mythic Africa. And then the fifth year will be Mythic Earth. And each of these mythics will have eight factions and a bridge faction for example the bridging faction might be for america conquistadors so each of these are armies set in the warlords of era one kind of style so it's a generic you need 30 to 50 miniatures but the scenarios are designed over the course of 
it's all about the way and there's there's no good or evil it's just ever living or ever changing so depending upon what you get when you roll in the scenario you can't meta your army you don't know if you're going to be ever changing or ever living till you start playing the scenario and then it's determined so you can't you have to kind of pre-range your force but then until the dice start rolling do you know if it's ever changing or ever living and there's different spells and then of course blessings of the way is another one so there's a lot of different spells or uh, things that can happen for your army and they're beautiful models so i'm very excited about the Incas, and I'm responsible for the Maori when the Asian one comes out. So I'm working on trying to get that uh, faction done. So we're talking in five years, 40 plus factions of a fantasy type setting. So when you say Asia, are you taking, if you're including the Maori, that means we'll get some of like the old Burma, Thai kingdoms, uh, the, the five the, warring the, states period, yeah, that yeah, type the, of, okay. Yeah, it's not necessarily yeah, going to be Japan. Right. Well, yeah, there's yeah. a Japan, yeah, they're gonna make a Japan-like one, but there's a Korean faction. There's a, a new Centauran faction, which is the Malaysian Filipino kind of thing. There's a nomad section. What we're trying to do is, you know, everybody knows orcs, goblins, and elves, but there's a lot, so many other myths of different areas that we need to look at or see that those are the myths that that uh, Nelson and his crew are really starting to push. And and we, there's so much stuff in this world that isn't talked about or known that that's what we're trying to bring into so when we get to europe there won't be an elf or a dwarf there might be a uh ireland or polish or norwegian faction instead of the orc goblins and dwarfs okay you know i'm I'm glad to hear that because i know that especially like the sub uh asian subcontinent and oh yeah there there's rich like mythic traditions out of there that just unless you take AP courses in high school yeah, or, or you exactly. take a specific, no one talks about, no yep. one talks about like the African empires or like yeah. the Mughal empires yep. out there and say, you know, yeah. they had their own stuff going yeah. on. Yeah. Well, that, that's the beauty of that book, uh, death in the dark continent. There's 89 different army tribes in there. You know, that, that's the beauty of that book. So I'm really excited about that. I'm excited about the combined arm stuff for, you know, victory at sea and cruel seas and bolt action and blood red skies. I'm excited about what's coming out for, those um, games, you know, the new Blood Red Sky starter pack. I'm looking forward to that. There's a really cool project coming out at the end of the year that I'm really, really excited about that I can't talk about. Um, I yeah, and uh, uh, what was the other thing? There's oh, there's some stuff we're doing with Trenchworks that's going to be really cool. You're going to see here pretty soon. That's going to be phenomenal. So there's a lot of fun stuff coming out, and of course, you know, the next epic scale stuff we do, and more stuff for our epic ECW. All right, I think that's, that's all I can talk about. Yeah, <laughs> hey, yeah, that's I, on the horizon, Raider. <laughs> well, you know, we'll just start with the standard interrogation technique. I'll restart this interview from the top exactly. and work it that's through right. until you break open. Exactly. <laughs> that's right. Well, I've been known to, to spill the beans a lot, but I've, I've got uh, some just some things I can't talk about now that I, the boss says, "Hey, stop that." I'm like, "Okay." I completely understand non-disclosure agreements. So, mm-hmm. well, John Russell, thank you very much for joining us on this podcast. Mm-hmm. And hope to have you on again sometime in the future. You betcha. Thank you very much, James. Appreciate it.